three, two, one. John, are we live? We're live, sir. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of Wheelhouse. We are coming to you guys on Monday instead of Wednesday because I am a brat and I'm going to Italy tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, for a week. So we're here two days early. John, before we start with our two awesome guests, because I think we're going to go through an hour real fast with oh, these two guys. Yep. Any shout outs to show up all the rest of my shout outs? <laughs> well, you didn't do a shout out. Well, either. I'm waiting for you because I'm going to oh. try to one up you. Oh. I'm never going first again with shout outs because <laughs> I'm going to make up good shout outs from now on. I just, I'm just going to make really, them up. Yeah, okay. Um, you're just going to talk about strangers, people yep. you don't know. Awesome. I'm going to make up All a story. Right. <laughs> uh, one real quick shout out. Maggie's sister, Sarah, and brother-in-law, Mike, just celebrated 10 years of wedded bliss. They've got three little ones running around. They're doing a great job in that department. So happy anniversary. Uh, look forward to celebrating with you soon. That's it? Yeah, that's all I got. I, got, I have family shout-outs, too. So the 15th is my sister's birthday. So happy birthday to happy her. Happy birthday. 19th is my mom's. Wow, and birthday. I'm going to Rome with my dad because he's speaking at a conference out in Rome about a medical research he did. He's a cardiologist, so he's been invited to speak at this conference. So he's speaking on Thursday. So I'm going with him like a proud son, and I'm really, really excited. And one more shout-out. Next week on the 22nd, the From Now On Foundation, um, Michaela Gordon, she's a friend of mine uh, on the YPN. She's having an event at night. I will put a link in the comment section. Her charity is amazing. It's their annual big event. Last year was really cool. They had some people from Hamilton performing and singing. It's, it's awesome, awesome. So Excellent. I'll be there. I'll be back on the 21st, a little bit right. of jet lag, and then we'll be at Michaela's we'll thing on the 22nd. We'll power through. Yeah, so that'll be a blast. Do you know where it's at? Oh, don't put me in the spot. I, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but I'll put, I'll put it in the uh, comment section. Our law firm is uh, one of the sponsors. Um, I, I love everything they do with their charity, so we'll put a link in the uh, awesome. comment section. Yeah, count me in. I want to go. Cool. And coming with? Absolutely. Actually, I think I do have an extra ticket because of sponsorship. Yeah. So you're my date. Oh. Dress, dress sexy. I was going to say I'm going to have to get out the heels. <laughs> yeah. No, don't do that. You're already oh, no, taller I'll, than me. I'll let you get the don't heels. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll wear the heels. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to our guests because they're both awesome, and I have a feeling we're going to have a lot to talk about. Jim Boswell is the president and CEO of Integrity LLC. Jim, thanks for being on. Thank you. Um, tell us what Integrity is, and then we'll, st- we'll talk about that and get into Help a Hero, which is super, super cool. Can't wait to hear about that, too. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on today, uh, you and John. Um, Integrity uh, is a company that I started. We're a general contracting uh, company. We do residential, commercial, industrial construction, repair, renovation, and maintenance. Um, So our clients expect us to do uh, from $1,000 projects to million-dollar projects, and uh, we do uh, good at everything we do. We're reliable and dependable, and, and we care. Awesome. Um, And you've been in construction for a long time, right? We were talking off air, and you... We can tell you have your stuff down and everything's buttoned up. How long have you been doing it? Well, I've been in the construction industry for 33 years since I was a teenager. I've been a business owner since uh, May of 93, so a little over 25 years. Awesome. Good for you. What uh, made you want to start Integrity? Well, yeah, after working for contractors and uh, in, in management level positions, so in my early 20s, I just realized that, uh, you know, it's not all that complicated. Uh, when you do what you say you're going to do uh, and people like to do business with who they like and trust, uh, it's not all that complicated. So I decided to start my own company and uh, do it the way as an entrepreneur, do it the way that uh, I thought would be best. And I love that you call it integrity, and I love what you just said about just doing what you say you're going to do. Because I feel like, and I'm in real estate, we, we spoke about that. I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of contractors get a bad rap because they just don't do the things that they say they're going to do. And I know when we spoke a couple of weeks ago on the phone, you had uh, mentioned that integrity, your company's and yours, you hold at the highest regard. And that's why you called your company integrity. Yep. Um, so I love that. Is that just kind of like the pivotal, like, uh, pillar stone of your company is just have good integrity? Yeah, it is because uh, we all have had situations and people in our lives, unfortunately, that uh, have not been people of integrity. So when I look to hire uh, contractors or employees, you know, it's one thing to be competent in your job and, and uh, you know, and, and be able to perform. But, um, you know, I'm looking for people even as I hire uh, of character. And so that really is the, the kind of the starting point for everything that we do is that we're men and women of character and of uh, high integrity. And uh, everything else, uh, you know, kind of becomes a little bit easier uh, when, when you start from that basis. I love that. Um, 
are you guys all based out of the Chicagoland area, or do you go outside of Chicago? We do go outside of Chicago, okay. but that would typically be for clients that trust us here. Okay. Uh, so when a client has uh, you know multiple properties, sometimes it's easy for them to say, "Hey, look, you know, you've done a bang up job for us here, but uh, you know, I've got some property that I'd like you to look after for me." And whether it's in Wisconsin or Iowa or you know the surrounding states, I have done projects that have been beyond that as well, but. 95% of our work or greater is really here in Chicago, Wisconsin, Northwest Indiana. Awesome. And it's uh, interesting that you do all three because I know a lot of contractors, they're only going to do residential or they'll only do commercial. Um, you guys must have a wealth of knowledge in each one because it's not easy to do all three because obviously have d different um, needs and uh, different machinery and uh, construction folks for each one, right? It, that is right. Um, most of the work that I've done in the past, uh, you know, has been industrial commercial on a percentage basis. Well, some of the reason is because those those projects are larger. Yeah, you know, I've gotten, uh, you know, a purchase order for half a million dollars from a commercial client versus getting, a, a, you know, doing work with a residential you know, client, uh, it's not typically those, you know, that size. One of the reasons why we, we do the residential is, is what we're going to talk a little bit about is the uh, help a hero campaign. And that's really where the residential work comes into play. I love that. Let's get into that. The uh, help a hero. Uh, tell us what help a hero is and uh, how you guys came up with it. Cause I love, love, love this. Yeah. Well, help a hero is, um, uh, an initiative that our company started uh, where we can give back to uh, teachers, which we do believe are heroes. Um, uh, many people in, in uh, my family uh, and friends are, are, are teachers. Um, teaching on that profession has never been more difficult, I believe, than it is today. Uh, I've been a school board member for eight years and dealing with budgets and uh, all the things that go into being a teacher, you know, it, it's tough today. Um, so our company had an idea, as other companies have done, where when we do a project that's referred to us on our website, uh, then we give a, a grant to a teacher that referred us or who was referred. Uh, and it, it couldn't be easier uh, of a process. Um, and uh, it's, it's really self-explanatory on the website. But we just believe that teachers deserve to uh, have a little extra help when they go on buy those things that aren't supplied by the school district. Yeah. Uh, teachers spend a lot of money of their own pocket. And we're able to give some or if not all of that money back just because we've been referred to do work. I love that. And, and how, A, they are absolutely heroes. And B, like you said, it's becoming more and more difficult. And I, I, this is my personal opinion, I don't think they're compensated enough for what they do. You know, uh, how important of a role in uh, the character building and the education of a young kid. You know, I don't have uh, kids yet, but I would imagine, you know, what's more important than making sure that your kids are looked after at such a high level um, when you're not around them. And that's the role of a teacher. Agreed. Um, John, are we, we're going to be able to put the web, the websites up there. Yeah. So for those of you watching, you know, click on their website, obviously, and there is a uh, link up on the right hand side that says help a hero. I was on it. It's fantastic. Uh, how'd you guys come up with the idea? Was it you just being passionate about teachers and kind of that became the idea? Um, yes, uh, but there's more that goes into it. I mean, you're, what you're doing here on your show uh, and, and kind of, uh, uh, you know, having entrepreneurs be able to talk a little bit about what drives them. And I am a, a lifelong entrepreneur, yeah. and, you know, we, and you, you are as well, and we, uh, we, we think a little bit differently sometimes than, uh, than as a, an employee that's, uh, you know, working nine to five. It, it kind of never shuts off. It's yeah, always never. on. Um, so we've got, you know, hundreds of ideas. It doesn't mean they're all good, but this idea um, really uh, stemmed from a, 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 a belief that uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so yeah. uh, we just want to be able to, to give back. Again, it is a passion of mine because so many people in my family, including my wonderful wife, uh, that uh, is is a school teacher, and, and when you talk a little bit about uh, you know they're they're forming uh, you know who kids are. My wife doesn't look at it as a job or a career. She really looks at it as uh, you know it's it's her passion. And so uh, again, just trying to connect those couple things, uh, it just fits. That's fantastic, and thank you to your wife. Um, have you always? So you said you've been a lifetime entrepreneur. Did you always know growing up you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Or was there an aha kind of moment? No, always, no. always, <laughs> always. You know, when you're eight years old and you're you're coming up with ideas about you know uh, as a, a paper route or selling Tootsie Rolls, mm -hmm. you know, how can I do this better? You know, yeah. it starts with something like that, and then as you get the, the ability to actually uh, uh, you know start putting uh, you know some some things together as you get a little bit older, um, you know, I've I've always been an entrepreneur. 
Awesome. Yep. Any entrepreneurs in the family that you were looking up to? Was there anybody that uh, kind of made it so that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or was that kind of self-born inside of you? Yeah, I, I don't know that I can point to anybody. You know, sometimes it's a, a dad or, yeah. a, you know, a, you know, a, a mom. And, and I don't know that I can point to anybody, but I certainly have been influenced by entrepreneurs, uh, you know, that, that many of us would know those names. One that comes to mind now, this is a little later, but the the model of I uh, the help a hero campaign, um, Tom uh, I'm sorry Blake Mikowski who started Tom Shoes, yeah. uh, we're doing a little bit following that uh, you know that path of instead of asking people for donations to help uh, others, we're really taking business and and and, uh, and, and these good efforts uh, and we're just kind of putting them together. As we're successful, we're able to help others be successful. And so it really comes out of those kind of lessons and stories by by many entrepreneurs over the years. Yeah, I love that. Ryan Cotter, we were just talking about him. Shout out to Ryan. Ryan, if you're watching, hopefully you are. He's one of our number one fans. One of the first weeks we had on, we were talking about giving back because something John and I love doing with the show is just pitching charities and trying to get behind charities that are either local or national, but um, are you know our guests are passionate about. And Ryan's passionate about the Real Estate Rumble. And I asked him, I said, you know, what made you want to give back and he said it's not what made me want to it's my duty i have you know as somebody who's become successful i need to give back i have to give back and i truly believe that and i am guessing that's similar to the passion that you have now i couldn't agree more yeah, that, yeah. that's absolutely the, the driving force and you know and, and uh, you know when when you give back you know, it, it's not that other people see that and get a pat on the back because I've never, I, my, my character is such that I don't need any of those. Yeah. It makes me feel good about yeah. who I am. You know, so, I mean, that's that's really where it stems from is just, uh, you know, me and my team, my company, uh, we feel good about being able to do good things. Yeah, yeah. And obviously all of us sitting here are uh, privileged to a certain extent, um, and there are those who just are not as fortunate. And I, I agree with you. I think we should give back. We have to give back. So I love that. Um, do you guys have uh, any uh, events coming up for it, or is there anything that's coming up that could uh, help push Help a Hero? One of the things John and I want to do with Wheelhouse is um, coming up towards the end of summer, maybe early fall, we're going to do an event with all the guests and um, you know, hopefully do a little networking event. And all charities like you know, Help a Hero, if there's any way we can help uh, push Help a Hero, we'd love to. Uh, John and I were speaking about Help a Hero the last couple of weeks, and, and we love it. So anything coming up soon here that we can help? pitch or push at all yeah I, n nothing that's on the schedule okay. only be, one of the reasons is it, it's a pretty new initiative uh, just okay. in the last uh, you know 60 days so uh, we're spending a lot of time you know getting to the people that you know really can help so we're, we're making those introductions and some of those will be uh, you know direct with uh, districts with teachers uh, you know and so forth but we have some things in the works uh, going into next year that we definitely would appreciate uh, you know working with uh, you and your team for sure yeah absolutely we'd love to push it love to help out however we can um any fun books you like reading we always ask that question and i'm asking it now because i have to go to a bookstore tomorrow to pick up some books for this trip so you two both might have some influence on what i end up reading on this trip yeah um you know i get my hands on just about everything that is uh, uh has to do with leadership yeah. um I, i'm a christian so i the bible uh is something that i you know is uh near and dear to my heart uh, but any, anything that has to do with leadership, uh, you know, I'm I'm reading those books. Awesome. So I, uh, I I can after the show definitely uh, give you about twelve or fifteen books that uh, that I've read that I think are real influential. I love that, and I mean I I guess you're reading it because it motivates you and it helps you lead. Do you your day to day kind of activity at uh, Integrity? Are you uh, in the office? Are you uh, out on job sites? What's uh, what's Jim's role on kind of a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I'm rarely in the office uh, yeah. because I'm I'm out uh, you know with uh, you know with, with uh, clients. I'm out with our our team uh, on job sites. Um, you know, my my best for I, I, we are a small contractor. We're not a large contractor, so my my best is being out with people. Right. You know, and, and uh, most entrepreneurs, most small businesses, that's really what they would you know say uh, you know the same thing. So my day-to-day -day changes Takes drastically anywhere. because. Because it just depends on uh, you know no matter what I've got scheduled tomorrow something could could change that but uh, yeah. yeah no I'm I'm out of the office most of the time I love that about entrepreneurs too I mean it's the whole I don't think they could ever put you in a nine to five and tell you sit in an office you'd probably go crazy just like I would 
I would. Yeah. <laughs> that that would not be. Uh, that's just yeah. not how I'm made up. Yeah, for sure. I I, I need to be out with uh, with people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. I mean, I drive a lot. I drive almost thirty thousand miles a year, so I sit in traffic a lot. And one of these days, we have the Chicago helicopter experience guy. One of these days, I'll he'll have enough helicopter routes for me to just get rides <laughs> places. But um, do you drive a lot? I, I do. Uh, lot. When you said that, uh, yep, I, uh, I I drove uh, about twenty, a little over twenty six thousand miles last year. You're like and, me. Yeah, and so I'm I'm on the road a lot. So, uh, uh, you know, everything that uh, from from not only uh, listening to the, the news on, uh, you know, on, on uh, the, the radio, but, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, the uh, song music, uh, yeah. you know, is a big deal, too, because just you're in the car so much, you know. You should look into Audible. I don't know if you do it or not. It's the audiobook. So I used to hate Audible because... I, I like reading books, mm-hmm. and some of the people's voices drive me nuts. So <laughs> sometimes the narrator's voice, I'm like, I can't listen to this thing for two, three, four more hours. But some of them aren't so bad. So I've been better at reading more because I'm listening to audiobooks because I'm stuck in traffic all the time. So I mix between the radio and then Audible, and it yeah. helps my traffic-filled commute get better. Yeah, no, I should look into that for sure. Yeah, yeah it's uh, really easy to use. Are you an early riser like a lot of people in construction? I, I am. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, if 10 years ago, I would have said I'm not. Uh, but these days, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, sometimes with we do a lot of asphalt, you know, paving. Uh, and some of those jobs start early. Um, so sometimes I, uh, I'm out the door at, uh, you know, 4.30, quarter to 5 in the morning. The other thing is I do like to ride uh, bikes, a bicycle. And so uh, that's a good time to get up and, and go for a bike ride before I go to work, too. I love that. Um, it's funny enough, I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast last night. And I had the Dan Bilzerian episode on, and he had that bet where he couldn't bike from uh, Las Vegas to Los Angeles in 48 hours. He made it in 32, and he was saying he had got Lance Armstrong to help him train for it. How, how far do you usually bike? Well, my longest one day is 221 miles. Whoa! Yeah, so that's a, it's a long day. Wow, um, that is a long day. Yeah, but uh, you know, doing doing 100 miles uh, is uh, that would be a typical ride. I'm actually in a race in two weeks weekends from now. That's 88 miles, and I hope to do that in a little less than five hours. Wow, he could have used you as a coach because I think it was 270 <laughs> miles, and he had 48 hours to do it, and he did it in 32. He said, although he had said he had never gotten a bike before. So you've been biking for a long time, I'm guessing. I have, yeah. I uh, really took a bike. I was a runner all through high school, and I've run in uh, a number of marathons. I run an, an ultra marathon. I started wow. training for a triathlon. That swimming's tough. Swimming's tough. <laughs> swimming's tough. So uh, when I, I got into uh, you know uh, the, the pool, and after a few months, I, I, I really kind of fell in love with biking. Yeah. So at age 39, I, uh, I just kind of switched over and uh, been biking ever since. I did the Chicago Triathlon in 2008 off of a bet where my friend said I couldn't do it. He said I couldn't do it, and then my dad laughed and said, yeah, I don't think you're going to do it either. So they both doubted me, so I said I'm going to do it. And the swimming was definitely the toughest part for me. I mean, I have these little T-Rex arms. Actually, the funny <laughs> thing was my friend had a bunch of pictures of me, and it's packed. The Chicago Triathlon has you know, lots. lots of people. I said, how did you get photos of me, Sean? He goes, you're the guy with the shortest arms going slower than everybody else. And I said, oh, there it is. Um, but that's awesome. So ultra marathons too? I did one ultra marathon. And that's yeah. how many miles? It's 50K. 50K. Yeah, so wow. it's like 18% longer than a, than a marathon. Wow. How long yeah. did that take? Uh, I finished that and uh, it, it was slow. It was I had to finish in uh, in, in eight hours. I think I finished in like seven fifteen. Um, I did no training. I hadn't run, run more than five miles in about maybe three years. Wow! And and somebody kind of on a bet said on Wednesday that hey, this is on Saturday. And uh, over my wife's, uh, my, my wonderful wife's uh, objections, I, I went and I did this. And the first 20 miles weren't bad, but the last, uh, uh, you know, 11 miles almost killed wow. me. <laughs> I mean, good, kudos to you. Good for you. <laughs> that's a long way. So whether it's 7 hours, 17 hours, or 27 hours, that's a long way to run. Um, and it seems like you're that type of guy, though, that somebody tells you you can't do something. And you're like, well, watch me. I'm about to go do it now. I, I'm very competitive, as, as entrepreneurs tend to be. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, so good luck. When's the race, the 88-mile uh, race? Uh, that is uh, two Saturdays from now. The 26th, I think, we're, we're going. It's actually it's Sunday, I think, the 27th. Okay. Yeah. Where is it? Uh, it's Race the Lake up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, okay, yeah. around, uh, around that lake. So to uh, Oshkosh and Appleton and, yeah. and around the lake. I'm doing it with a, a dear friend of mine, Mike Adamley. Okay. Uh, so we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're going up there. He invited me, so uh, we'll be there in a couple weeks. I have a place up in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, which is a little bit 
further than that. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. What kind of bike do you have? I have a truck. Uh, okay. That's uh, it's a Madone 5.2, uh, very expensive bike, lightweight yeah. bike, but uh, I, I love it. I, I ride it uh, daily. That's what I realized when I was looking at bikes because I, I was just doing it for a bet, and I, I bike a little bit, but it's a road bike. And I started looking because I'm a car guy, so I start looking at all the different bikes. They got carbon fiber, this carbon fiber, that. You can have a ten thousand dollar bike when you're all said and done. It can get real expensive. You can. Now, my my bike is about a thirty six hundred dollar bike. Uh, I did, I paid a little less than that for it, but uh, some friends of mine have a, a Trek uh, Seven Series that are between ten and twelve thousand because wow. they're they don't switch gears like like even mine does. Uh, they they actually are electronic so when you just touch it it actually an electronic signal actually takes it perfectly puts it on the the chain ring so they're ten to twelve thousand dollars for sure wow yeah that's crazy <laughs> it's crazy um come on i get fascinated by this stuff because <laughs> it was crazy that you brought that up because last night i was watching that video and laughing at the him trying to train to do it and it was, the bet was a million dollars too it ended up being a million dollar bet what he was saying was that apparently all these guys that gamble, they'll just make the most random bets. They'll say, hey, I'm not going to bet you $15,000 to just jump in the shark tank at Atlantis. And then someone will just jump in. So he made it originally a $600,000 bet, but he took so many side bets that the bet ended up being a million dollars. And he had 48 hours to do it. Wow. So they gave him six weeks to train, uh, 48 hours to go 270 miles, um, and he took the bet. But he, I mean, I guess the guy had gone through two sets of Navy SEAL training. So he was probably a uh, mentally strong enough guy to figure out in six weeks how to just do it. Yeah, I, I would say, though, if, as I've biked, you know, 30,000 miles, uh, wow. for, for somebody that hasn't biked 270 miles, uh, that trip, if it's hot through the, the desert, hot, yeah. uh, that would probably be pretty difficult for most people. Yeah. Um, but but that would be a, certainly something that I would like to do. Yeah, they wouldn't bet you a million bucks. They're not going to bet you a million. You would do it in 24 hours. Uh, we'd You'd get it done. done pretty quick. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, kind of the entrepreneur stuff, any um, advice or a learning experience we could give the people listening um, that you've learned along the way? A piece uh, or two. Man, yeah, there's probably a lot of things. Yeah, one, of one thing that, uh, you know, entrepreneurs um, – as you'll see on uh, Shark Tank, yeah. uh, not all ideas are great ones. Uh, so, you know, I, I have 100 ideas, but what I've learned is that I need to find uh, a couple people that, uh, that have some wisdom, that you can bounce some ideas off that say, hey, uh, probably not your, your, your best idea. I get it, but it's probably not something that uh, is, is you need to spend some more time on it. Mm -hmm. uh, that, has, that is a, a piece of advice that I probably did not take near enough uh, up until uh, maybe seven or eight years ago. And now there's some people in my life that uh, I'm able to bounce those things off to, to kind of vet through some of those ideas. Again, they're not, they're not all great ideas. But when you find one that is, then, uh, then you, you got a winner, you know, and, and you put everything you have into that one. But uh, find, find some people you can trust, uh, and that will really give you honest feedback. I love that. And, you know, I've, we've talked about having a mentor or a um, accountability partner a lot here, having somebody you can bounce stuff off with. And I think that's super important. But I think what's also super important is that you're self-aware enough to know that sometimes you might not have great ideas. Because I think, especially early entrepreneurs, sometimes they get in their own way thinking, yeah, like you said, like I can, these are my ideas and they fall in love with it and they'll push a bad idea until it pushes them off of a cliff instead of being self-aware enough to recognize, okay, maybe it's not a great idea, it needs to be massaged to become better, or maybe I'll just scrap this and go a completely separate way. So that's awesome. Yeah, well, and, and one more thing about that is that if you're, you're not as uh, able to, to pitch an idea if it's yours. Right. So if, if you ask me to go buy a car for you, um, I'd negotiate probably the best deal that you'll ever get. If, if, if you go and negotiate for yourself that same car, you're probably going to spend more money. Yeah. The reason is, is because you don't want to walk away and say no, where somebody else has a little more uh, ability to not be so uh, you know, controlled by the idea of, I'm, I really want that car, even if I spend more money. So that's the same thing with an idea. I love that. I love that. I'm going to segue because you, you bump and set this for me perfectly by saying Shark Tank. Because our second guest, Corey, um, Corey Warfield, filled. Warfield. Warfield um, is the CEO of Shedwool. Tell us what Shedwool is and then tell us what you guys have been up to with Shedwool. Because he said Shark Tank. I know you guys haven't been on Shark Tank, but 
you guys got a lot of cool stuff going on and a little Shark Tank connection too. Yeah, we've, we've got a couple of ancillary connections to the tank. Uh, basically, I spent 20 years of my life in restaurants and started off as a dishwasher, moved to busboy, waiter, became certified as a sommelier, worked my way up kind of in the corporate world where I had the southeast region of our company, number of restaurants underneath me. And so I did that for about 10 years and I realized my, my best waiters and my best concepts were making a lot more money than I was, even if I was to make all my bonuses. So I went back and waited tables. I did that for almost 10 more years. Came back to Chicago. I had some aging family. And so I was at Ruth's Chris for a number of years, helped open Mastro Steakhouse for a number of years. And I was there until I came up with the idea for Shed Wolf. And in the hospitality industry, every week, every department, people's schedules change. And you don't know if you're working the next day, you're on call, you don't have a way to necessarily get a shift covered. When I got married in Mexico, we were on the, the beach down in Playa del Carmen getting married, and they literally thought I was working because they had had a mix-up, and thank God we had software that they were able to use and mitigate that because obviously I wasn't going to leave my wedding and hop on yeah. a plane to come wait some tables for a night. But when we got bought by a large company, they took our scheduling software away from us. And spending about 10 years in the restaurants without software and 10 years with software, I knew how, how imperative it was. And they took it away because it was so expensive and we kind of started to freak out. And so I took it upon myself. I tried to put together some Google Sheets and some Facebook groups and uh, nothing was going to work at all. And so I tried to find a, a more affordable solution and there just wasn't one on the market. So this pain point, I absolutely knew how to solve it with, with software. I realized there wasn't a good affordable software solution on the market. So I got some mentors together, like you said. I, I learned a little bit of code and programming, put some wireframes together, put a team together. We developed our MVP launched last year, uh, had about 4,000 signups last year. Good this year, Captera named us number 10 on their 20 best affordable scheduling softwares, top 10 results on the Google Play Store, and so we're having a lot of fun. And we've found a way to optimize outside of the hospitality industry for uh, healthcare, for security, police, fire. We have a number of industries that are using our schedule to just put their, their schedules together, schedule being a play on the word schedule. And uh, so we're having a lot of fun, and we're kind of in stealth mode with, with what's coming next. I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. But we, we, f we think that we've just kind of cleaned and streamlined the scheduling process using software and apps. I love that. Congratulations. Um, to go from an MVP last year, so for those that you don't know, minimum viable product is like kind of the starting piece of an app, right? Yep, absolutely. And um, from there to now being top 10 on Google Play and all that good stuff, kudos to you guys because that's not easy to do. Well, in a crowded space. Super crowded, 140 competitors here. And, and I, I say this humbly, but we've bootstrapped the entire company, so we didn't take you. on any funding. And so a lot of people are kind of surprised by that. I think Good our average competitors raised about $15 million. One of our closest competitors was just bought for $346 million by Intuit in January. So, of course, that's when my phone started ringing, and that's when we, we passed on our first multi-million dollar offer for the company the month or so after that. And yeah, we're just we're just heating up. We're we're Good literally we're the, we're the new kids on the block, and uh, we're just getting getting started. Good for you. You got to already get an offer too that fast, multi million dollar one. Congratulations. Thank you. It's going to be several more figures behind that, I'm sure. The next time you guys consider a sale, I I, I countered with a hundred million. We laughed about it, and we're still friends. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Good for you. Um, so yeah, tell us stealth mode. Whatever you can, whatever you can't, we obviously won't talk about, but. Uh, What's kind of next steps for you guys? Yeah, so I'm, I'm that renegade entrepreneur. I don't have an, an MBA. Thank God I have a team that's much smarter than myself, and they probably wish they were in this room to be pulling at my shirt, shirt sometimes. <laughs> but what I've identified is that no one in the gig economy has found a way to meet companies where they live, which is their schedule. So right now, if, if a restaurant needed a, a, a cocktail waitress or a hostess or a general contractor needed an electrician, they would literally have to decide what company to go with go to their website, see if they had anybody available, put that job out, hope that someone were to fulfill it. Well, we have data points on thousands of workers you know, across the country right now. We've partnered with a staffing agency that has 30,000 workers coast to coast. They've been in business 13 years. They'll, they'll break two million in revenue this year. And they've got all these workers, they've got work for them, but they don't have 40 hours of work a week for, for these people. And so we're looking to leverage our platform so that if an employer needs someone that's qualified and available, they can push a button, get it fulfilled. So love that. Yeah, people are rightfully saying that we're kind of trying to do the Uber for work thing. We right. I was, I, was about to, I was about to mention that. <laughs> it's so cliche, but there's no better way to, to put I, it. I, hey, it's, it's a brilliant um, model of connecting folks, and it's quick, and it gets rid of all the pain points in between of trying to and the labor intensive points of trying to go and find that person and then connect with them. And then this Good is the cool part. I'm involved with, with two video game companies. I sit on the board of one of them. 
they're building us a, a prototype for a, a video game that lives in the app that a, that a temp worker can play to get caught up to speed, whether it's a job site for OSHA safety, whether it's a restaurant, find your table numbers, where's the ice, where's the food, pick it up. If it's a broiler cook, what size are our steaks, you know, take it off the grill at the right time, automate all that. So we're getting into training both for uh, existing employees and wow, for the Wow, what a value add. Yeah. What a value add. Because, yeah, I guess if you're going to take somebody as a temp status and throw them in there, you want to make sure that they're at least um, somewhat knowledgeable in the process over there. And see who Brilliant. scored well. If 10 people want the job and one of the person. Brilliant. Yeah. Very, very smart. I mean, you obviously took a wealth of knowledge and experience you had in that realm and have taken it and you've modernized it. I mean, you've put it into something that's efficient, but then now works with technology. Whereas I feel like that industry in general is a lot more technologically advanced in our real estate industry because I, I feel like real estate's really kind of archaic still, but holy smokes, good for you. We've got a number of realtors looking at using us to actually schedule their showings. Showings? As well. Yeah. Very, very cool. I'll ha I'm going to have to talk to you off air about a lot of the stuff because that you're my the hamster wheel is spinning <laughs> now. What um, you always want to be an entrepreneur, just like uh, you know, as Jim, or you just kind of fell into it because you saw a need and then you ran with it. Totally from the need. I was kind of you know I've always been a wheeler and a dealer. I always had my amazing ideas, and my wife will tell you uh, very. Uh, She's very, very smart, much smarter than me. She'll tell you that most of my great ideas are terrible. Um, so it's probably <laughs> see that's good. his that's his person, his wife, nice and honest she, to him. Mine too. Yours too. <laughs> I need a wife. <laughs> uh, but you know, I I've had so many ideas that I thought could be amazing, and I I think for better or for worse, I just didn't take action. But this was one when I had the idea and realized the potential and realized the need. And then coupled with the fact I realized there wasn't anything on the market, you know, that we really had this opportunity. The sniff test was I told my wife, and I think for the first time ever, she was like, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's like, what did you say? Like, yeah. So we're doing this, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you've never heard that before. I don't think I've heard it since. So, Well, it, all it takes is one amazing idea, and I think you got it. I mean, obviously, you guys have grown. You're turning heads. Um, tell me about this uh, Damon John's thing that you guys did because that's pretty cool. So to the Shark Tank. Thanks. Yeah, last year we went through an accelerator program, and I got to do our demo day, pitched a couple thousand people, and that, that video, pe people really kind of resonated with the performance. And so I, uh, I submitted to the Miller Lite Tap the Future event for their pitch contest, and they had some, did some outreach and saw that video, and they said, you know, we, we'd love to get you in as a semifinalist in Houston, and Damon John is affiliated with that, and he's the judge. So I flew down there, and I pitched, and... Uh, you know, it's one of those things, one of the reasons we're, we're not doing Shark Tank or anything like that, the reason that we haven't taken on VC funding is our revenues are still relatively modest. People really want to see that huge hockey stick before they want to come all in. Mm -hmm. And so we, we were actually in the process of launching our premium uh, model from, from our open beta at that time. So, you know, they, they were intrigued. They had a couple other judges. I think the pitch went really well. They saw the vision, but I think we were a little early stage for them. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to articulate. I think I had five minutes uh, to present the entire thing, so... That's what I'm finding is hard too. A, I don't shut up. I keep talking. But and we haven't got to the point. We're very modest too with our tech startup where we could go to a VC company yet. But I feel like a lot of times people will say, "What are you guys doing?" And I want to explain all of it because there's so much that's gone into it. But everything feels like it's got to be so condensed. And I always, I almost feel like, give me some more time to explain the background. But it's really tough condensing all your amazing ideas and you know like a year's worth of work into. Here's you got five minutes and you got to show a demo and you got to make sure that, you know, everybody understands it. So I had an experience where my my investor pitch deck, in my opinion, is amazing. If you read the whole thing, you'll know everything about the company, what we do, where we've been, who's in our pipeline, who are current users, what are all of our KPIs, our key performance indicators. And it's all there. And in my opinion, if you're going to write me a check for a couple hundred thousand dollars, you want to know this. Right. Also, I was in a post accelerator last year in Vegas and some some kid, great kid, uh, has a company and he had just raised a quarter million dollars and I asked to see his pitch deck. Eight slides, most of them had no more than five words on them. I'm like, I have no clue what you do. He's like, yep, yeah, that's, that's all they needed. I was like, did they really do some diligence? He's like, nope, they loved it. It's like, well, my gosh, I've been telling them way too much. I've been spilling the secret sauce all over their laps. Yeah. They can probably go out and replicate what we're doing, whereas this guy put a couple pictures together and quarter million bucks. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I think there is a lot to that you know, leave something to be desired, yeah. give them room to ask questions, don't, you know, yeah. and, and it's just like dating, right? If you go up to a girl and tell her your life story and, you know, they don't need to date you. If you go up and you say, you know, 
pitched Damon John on Shark Tank, and now I'm a brand ambassador of his as well for his new book, which I love. Uh, so I've, I've had an opportunity to talk to him and to meet him a few more times, and he's supportive of what we're doing. Very cool. What's his book? Because uh, since I'm looking, so so his first book that I loved is called The Power of Broke. Highly recommend that. Okay. His new book is called Rise and Grind. Love that one. Uh, I have a couple copies at home if you want it. I, I can see about giving you one, but I just did a giveaway on LinkedIn yesterday. Announced the winners today. I'm giving the copy. I'll, I'm going to go to the bookstore. I'll get one. <laughs> but I, I, I love the advice. I, I love watching him on Shark Tank. I, I, and I followed him a little bit. I've read some of his articles. He's good entrepreneur. The book's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you guys are Chicago-based, I'm yep. guessing, right? Yeah, our office is out in Berwyn right now. Okay. And we do the WeWork thing down here. And yeah. then, you know, often enough, I work out in my house because I have the two most amazing Mastiffs in the world. And, you know, they, they, love to, they love to make sure that I'm doing a good job and watch over my shoulders. How, uh, how big are they? So I've got a 100-pound Mastiff, and then I've got a 70-pound Connie Corso. She's okay. the world's smallest big dog. Her mom yeah. is 140 pounds. She had these huge paws, and every day she's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then she just stopped. Stopped. So she's she's amazing, but she's tiny. I have a hundred and thirty pound German Shepherd, so he's a huge German Shepherd, and he just he was the opposite. He didn't stop growing, <laughs> and I had German Shepherds growing up, and I had a ninety and a ninety five pound, and he had these bear paws. His dad was the biggest German Shepherd I ever seen, but his mom was small. His mom was like seventy seventy five pounds. We didn't know how big he's going to get, and he just kept getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger, and he howls at sirens and stuff. So people come over and they're freaked out because like he got a wolf living at home. But I feel you. Um, Love big dogs. How old are they? So my big guy is almost 10, and my little girl's three. Three. So mine's nine, and I've been kicking around getting him a puppy. But I, he's slowing down a little bit at nine. He's a little bit of a big guy, so he's slowing down a bit. So now I feel a, I, I feel bad that he doesn't have a buddy, but I also feel like if I got him a puppy and the puppy wore him out too fast, I'm going to feel bad there too. So I'm so torn on if I should he'll, get him one He'll or not. love it. It's going to make him feel young again. And it's yeah. kind of like me. I married, I married younger. My wife's nine years my junior, and so she keeps me young now that I'm in yeah. my 40s. And, you know, it was great. I was, like, in my late 30s with, the, with this early 20s wife, and it was amazing. And You, know, you don't look like you're in your 40s. Thank you. I mean, John's in his 40s. Look at that guy. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Keep one-upping me on those shout-outs. Uh, every once in a while, I'll place a good joke. You definitely don't look like you're in your 40s. I appreciate it. I, I was the guy that looked super young until I started a company and uh, I'm starting to lose the hair. You're and barely, gray. You're barely graying in your beard. I'm graying in my beard. I'm 34 next month, so I'm getting closer to 40. Yeah, I, I would have guessed you quite a bit younger as well. Yeah, no. I, uh, I was at Benny's not so long ago. And it said we card under 40, and she wasn't carding me. So I looked at her. I said, hey, do I look 40? She goes, you're close enough. And I was like, ouch. Wow. Yeah, no card. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm getting up there. Um, the whole tech thing, are you guys eventually going to try to go to the VC level, or is this something you guys are thinking, hey, listen, we got a pretty cool concept here. This might be something we hold on to. So we've we've been we've been flirting with a couple of acquirers. Uh, we're talking to our target acquirer right now. They've encouraged us to uh, to launch our app on their app store environment, and they'd be watching us as a potential acquisition. So we're looking at either if we bring on any capital, which is you know we're not necessarily sure that we want to right now. We're just reinvesting any of our revenue, and it's working out pretty well. Good for um, you. We're looking to potentially do a friends and family round. We've got yeah. some people showing a little bit of interest there. You know, something really small, probably five figures. And then three of the companies that we've been talking to are now looking at their venture arms. And they're, they're talking real numbers, real math. You know, I think that they've got some, some agenda as well. But I think if we were to take on a substantial investment, it, I don't want to go the VC route. I don't want someone telling us what to do. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and especially they had their chance a year ago. At this point, we're, we're, we're here on our own fruition. Yeah. Um, you know, an angel, some, someone, someone's in the space, they want to get passionate, roll their sleeves up. It's, I'm certainly, we're part of 1% for the planet. I can't wait to give a substantial amount of what we either sell for or make in revenues back to make the world a better place. So I'm not greedy. You. And so that said, happy to give someone 10, 15% of the company. I've got a good, good amount set aside for my early hires. And so they all know that they'll have ownership. And yeah, we're, just, we're just trying to establish that culture and let it flow down. Good for you. What's the uh, 1% for the environment for those who might not know? So 1% for the planet is the an planet. amazing initiative where any company can pledge to donate 1% of their revenue or their time uh, or kind of a, a hybrid model to make the world a better place. So we do Habitat for Humanity. I work with, uh, with young adults with autism. I help them assimilate into the workforce. And so you. a lot of it's just charity work. I'm an entrepreneur in residency with Berwyn Tech. We're uh, involved with 
uh, the Wozniak Foundation, WazU as well. And so some of that that I do from them is pro bono. And uh, it's just basically paying it forward, especially a company like us that's making what we're making in revenue, which isn't laughable, but it's not, uh, not change the world money yet. So if we can put our time and some of our, our uh, actual energies into that instead right now, it's pretty valuable. I love that. I'm going to get the information on that from you because that is very, very cool. Um, I love that both of you are so charitable with your time and giving back. I love one of your quotes because it's one of um, uh, the quotes I love best is fail forward. You said fail fast and fail forward. And if you remember last week, John, we had one of our guests who said his favorite quote was fail fail fast. I said my one of my favorite is fail forward. <laughs> Yours is fail fast and fail forward. Yeah. So you've like put both of them together. Um, I love that. Um, tell us about that. So I think that probably early stage, I made a lot of mistakes just being a first-time founder and kind of having a bunch of people. I had a friend of mine had raised $25 million for his company here, brought their valuation to a comfortable $150 million valuation. And so when we started off, he was in my corner telling me what to do. Well, his company took two, two down rounds, and his, his, his stock is virtually worthless now. And you know, I mean, he did a lot right and wrong, too, but so I'm listening to him while he's learning from his mistakes in real time. I have other people that are kind of telling me what they would do if they were me. I find out you know, afterwards, like, well, some of these people have never done it. You know, so I think I was just listening to too many different voices in my ear. I read The Lean Startup. That changed yeah. my life. I think that's when I realized, like, I can take on all these mentors. I can listen to all of this amazing uh, advice, but I need to filter it. Just because just someone's raised, you know, tens of millions or just because someone's has this perceived persona doesn't mean that they know what's best for me or my vision. Yeah. Um, and so for me, if I don't make the mistakes personally, I'm not going to learn from them. And now I've tried to cultivate kind of a personality. I'm really active on LinkedIn. And I think we found that if we share our mistakes with each other, at the very least, and give you something to go out and AP test. It's like, hey, when he did that, it sucks. Let me go try it too and <laughs> make sure it really sucks. Yeah. And, you know, because everyone lives their own reality. Yeah. And uh, but but I do think having those those earlier losses has set us up for some of these bigger wins that we have coming in the pipeline. I love that. And it's uh, you're not looking at mistakes at, at such a uh, as such a negative thing. You're looking at them as a as a learning experience and then moving on with from it and then helping teach other people. Like you said, having a platform where you can let other people know this worked or didn't work. That's also very nice of you, especially in the tech world where your intellectual property is kind of protected, kind of not protected. So kudos to you that's a very confident move as well and a very helpful one thank you yeah how about you with obviously you're very successful and been in business for a long time have you found that as time has gone on failing at something has become easier because you look at failure differently than you did when you were younger yeah absolutely something i heard uh, some time ago was uh, sometimes you win sometimes you learn yeah. and that's a different way to look at you know not you know losses sometimes uh, they just help you in future decision making you know yeah. so it's not that you always have to necessarily look at it like a loss i've learned something that is going to be valuable to me yeah i think as you guys are both very successful entrepreneurs i think as you succeed in business you realize there's no way you get to a successful level without having failed a bunch of times. I, I feel like people use failure as such a negative connotation. When I look at it as if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And if you're failing, you're not learning. You know, if you're not failing, you're not learning because there's no successful entrepreneur that's made it to a successful level without tons of setbacks, tons and tons. You know, and I've sat with tons of people who are successful and they're like, I failed this many times, whereas a lot of people fail once or twice and then they stop. I mean, especially in the um, contractor side of things in, in the tech world too, there's tons of contractors that, you know, they've had bad times, had failures, and then especially in the last downturn in the market, you know, a lot of people had failures and then some of them have come back and they're doing the, doing it again and some of them got so, I think, uh, broken up about that last downturn that they, they're not around anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, it's tough when you, uh, especially that 9, 10, 11, 12 yeah, were tough, tough in contracting. They were tough all over, you know, but some of that, the, those jobs, uh, you know, they just haven't come back. You know, the the right now talking about how, you know, the economy's great and unemployment's low and all that, you know, it's not necessarily that, you know, the jobs that were here, that, that they're here again. Uh, people are finding different ways to, to find jobs and different ways to make a living, even taking on more than one job, you know, at a time. But... Uh, you still got a scrap out there. It's not like the 90s or the early 2000s when mm -hmm. everything was just flowing and there was work for everybody. It's not like that. You got to be sharp. You got to be on your toes and you got to go to work every day ready to, to, to hit it. You, yeah. You have to innovate. Mm -hmm. And it's I, I love the saying that every no is just one step closer to a yes. But I also think every failure is one step closer to a success. 
I love and, that. Yeah. you know, it, it's just this different way of thinking. It's like, yes, I just failed. That's amazing. Like, I literally am one whole step closer to the success. And then I couple that with some knowledge that some people that we've all heard of in this room that have changed the world in different ways did it on a failure. Mm-hmm. They tried something, they failed, and they're like, oh, but... You know, wow, why didn't I ever think of this? And they would have never they would have never known or they would have never got into that had they stayed the course and not, you know, tried something a little bit crazy. So I definitely think that you gotta innovate and I think you're right, people people are getting resourceful, you know, mother being the necessity of invention or you know, something like that. Yeah. 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 It's true. I mean we're in such a cool time of innovation too. I mean, this is a cool time where technology is moving at such an exponential rate. I think I was reading something that said the last five years worth of technology, we've beat the prior 50 years. It's that exponential. You know, the, you can do so much more quickly now and efficiently that it forces you to innovate because it levels the playing, the, the technology levels the playing field for a lot of people. You know, the average person's playing field's level. So you got to innovate and take a, a big step further. I like the feel fast part too, which is, and, and it kind of touches on what you said about, you know, sometimes you hold on to bad ideas you know, way too long because you're you're married to them because they're your ideas and nobody, I mean, you guys have wives that thankfully tell you guys, no, don't do them. Um, but, you know, a lot of people hold on to ideas, whereas if you can get out of your own head and, you know, fail fast maybe or get rid of that idea fast, um, that takes you so much, so much further, which I love. Um, do you have any other plans, um, I'm back to you, Corey, on other tech, ideas that you want to start because I feel like a, a lot of the tech people that I speak to like I got a, a good buddy of mine Ray Lyle who's done a lot of different tech startups and you know he's in different businesses now um, are you starting to feel like you want to do something else tech related too because tech people seem to go from growing a company and then you're itching to grow something else or you have other ideas that came from shed wool that you want to so, so I, cur- I currently mentor 12 companies. I'm with the Founders Institute. I'll be there doing my first mentorship session as well. So I definitely, I've got my sleeves rolled up. I'm excited about what everybody else is doing. But for me personally, my next, my next big step's not as, as much tech. It marries tech. But I've got some pretty cool, and I've done some very, very light prototyping, but I've got some, some ways that I think will be perfect for the deep sea and the bottom of the ocean exploration potentially to be extrapolated going up into space as well, interplanetary. And so it's, it is very doable. We have all the technology right now. Um, and so that's kind of my big hairy audacious goal. Yeah. It's, you know, on the one hand, there's gotta be so much wealth and technology and that we just don't know anything about the bottom of the oceans and it's literally under our feet. Uh, but it's become a lot more realistic, you know, even in the last 10 years. You're going to be the reverse Elon Musk. He's going to Mars. You're going all the way down. Yeah. Right? Well, his his boring company making these holes and wormholes is pretty consistent with what I'm doing as yeah. well. So, yeah, he, he and I have some similarities and some pretty uh, pretty substantial differences, I think, ideal, ideologically. But I know some people that know him, and one person uh, mentioned my idea to him, and I guess it didn't didn't really catch fire with him. I think he's living his own reality. Or maybe but. it caught fire and he just didn't let people know it caught fire. There you go. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I think James Cameron would be really excited about what we're looking to do with our deep sea and then ocean floor exploration. Good and for being you. a sommelier, I saw a story a couple of years ago. They found a, a boat that had sunk off the coast of Russia 100 years ago, and it had these cases of champagne that was on their way to the royalty. And because of this, the speed that it went down and the pressure and the darkness these bottles of champagne were preserved perfectly. Get out of here. And, uh, so, you know, they're, they're being auctioned right now. They're still available. But just, just to think that there is this amazing 100-year-old premium cuvee champagne at the bottom of just a, a sea tells me, I mean, gosh. And it's preserved. Preserved perfectly. I mean, that it, is it couldn't have been cellared better if it had never, never. Unbelievable. Sunk. And it was I failed at science miserably. I was pre-med bio and then eventually went to law because I was not very good at science. So bear with me here. It was the pressure and then the speed in which it went down would preserve it. Everything was perfect. And then the fact that there was no light because light, the reason a lot of champagnes and colored bottles are are beer is so that the different spectrums don't spoil the beverage. Interesting. Yeah. So it's just the perfect, the perfect combination of everything. Very cool. I mean, that's way out of left field from tech, but very, very cool. And you're obviously a lot smarter guy than I am. And Not necessarily. You said your wife even. is a lot smarter than you, <laughs> so she's like 20 times smarter than me. Well, and there's a book I'm reading right now called Meet Me in Atlantis, and it's, it's kind of a combination of fiction and nonfiction, but it's about you know, people using science and the scientific method to try to discern where Atlantis could be. But that's an awesome book I recommend as well. That's Meet Me in Atlantis. Meet Me in Atlantis. 
Yeah, I got like 18 hours of flight time, so I'm going to have a lot of reading to do. Well, you know, I mean, the Jim Rohns and the, and the you know, Think and Grow Rich, all these yeah, books yeah. are cool. However, if you want something that reads a little bit more like Indiana Jones, you can still extrapolate a couple, you know, tidbits from, highly recommend that book. Very cool. Um, speaking of Atlantis, not the Bahamas Atlantis, but <laughs> it got me thinking this. Any favorite travel spots? So my favorite travel spot is called Dominica. It's in the Caribbean. Okay. It's, uh, you know, you, you fly to Miami, then Puerto Rico, and then you take a little puddle hopper. And my, my brother-in-law has a house down there and grew up going there. So when we go there, you know, we know everyone from the politicians and the local store owners, and they'll, they'll throw a party for us every time we go down there. But it's also oh. where they filmed uh, two of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So they have the Black Sand Beach down there and Very active cool. volcanoes. So it's ecotourism. There's literally a boiling lake where it's boiling because of the volcano underneath it. And uh, everything about that island is amazing. You know, you just they climb up, get you pineapples and coconuts, and they'll go, you know. They... When I read your sheet, I thought you misspelled Dominican. And that <laughs> is a completely different place. Yeah, Dominica. Cool. A lot of people haven't heard of it. It was Maxim Magazine's uh, top tourism spot. One, one of the hottest eco ecotourism spots in the world. Very, very cool. How about you, Jim? Well, uh, that sounds like a very cool place. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to I, I might have to check that out. Um, we, uh, every year, our uh, family after Christmas, we go to Fort Myers Beach. Okay. And that's become like a little home away from home. Awesome. So for 11 or 12 days, and we just uh, think of family and uh, just have some fun on the beach and uh, go to... Go to, wake up and go to sleep to the ocean every night. So They have good deep-sea fishing there, don't they? They do. They do. Because I have a friend of mine that deep-sea fishes, and I think he goes down there to start, and then he ends up going, getting down to the Keys, and he does a lot of deep-sea fishing out there. Yeah, fishing is really, really good. And even at that time, uh, you know, after after Christmas, uh, yeah, it's, it's very good fishing. Yeah, great weather, too. I'm going to have to check. Can I give, give a quick shout-out to yeah. an entrepreneur? friend, Joe Pippins, has a company called The Fishing Caddy. It's an all-in-one fishing system. I highly recommend anybody that fish checks it out. They're in Cabela's, and basically it holds your, your poles. It's got sensors and lights, and it stores your bait and tackle and fish. And basically you carry one, one thing that's much lighter to your fishing destination rather than a whole bunch of stuff. And it's oh, awesome. Super cool. It's Fishing Caddy? The Fishing Caddy. Yeah, fishing he, caddy. Uh, Steve Harvey, he won, uh, he won the, the Thunderdome on Steve Harvey's uh, Thunderdome recently. So, Very cool. Yeah, they gave him some capital. He was a crowd favorite. Have you guys seen the, it's, it's like Shark Tank, but for um, like sporting stuff, like the active entrepreneur, uh, I forget what it's called. John Chickens had you've seen it. And they always have athletes and stuff um, as the, uh, the VCs. Um, but what the heck is it called? It's going to bug me now. I've watched me it a too. couple times. Yeah, I've seen it as well. And the I, name. Because they had a fishing one on there, and I was thinking maybe that was on there, but apparently not. But that show's kind of fun to watch. Although the VCs definitely, they're just athletes turned venture capitals. They're not, um, and some of them are very successful, so I shouldn't say it like that, but they're not like the Shark Tank guys. Like well, you get A Rod and all those guys on the Shark Tank, and it's cool yeah. for that different perspective, but it is just a completely different mindset. Yeah. Yeah, that mindset you see sometimes of um, you know any of those guys up on Shark Tank just breaking down um, the business and why it might or might not work. It's that's a trained eye and a trained ear really kind of breaking that stuff down at a high high level. And we're talking failure. What about Mark Cuban? Half yeah. the stuff he touches we've never heard of because it failed so bad. But he just doesn't care. He's casting these wide nets, planting a lot of seeds. He had a a communication platform recently called Cyberdust, and he was super bullish on it, and it, it did nothing, and, and then now it doesn't exist. And it's just it proof positive that, you know, not every failure is a step towards success, but all the successful people fail and fail often. Yeah. I love one of his tips. It's one of my tips that has really made me less of a procrastinator. It was, if something takes less than five minutes, do it now. Don't put it off, because what he said was, humans are naturally procrastinators. There's... He, it sucks when somebody says, well, that person's a procrastinator because everybody naturally is. But what he basically said is if an email takes five minutes to do, if I have to take my laundry and throw it in, you know, the, I, he probably doesn't do his laundry anymore. <laughs> but at some point he did. If I had to put that laundry in the washing machine, it takes less than five minutes to do. I just, I'm thinking about it. I just do it instead of putting it off so that I don't have a mountain of small tasks. And it's something I've been pitching to a lot of my staff is, hey, guys, like don't procrastinate the little stuff because a lot of little stuff adds up to be big stuff. So even if it's a call I have to make and I dread making phone calls, I get a thousand voicemails a month and my phone drives me nuts. So, um, but I'm like, if this takes two minutes, I'm just going to do it. And that was a Mark Cuban tip. You know, he's, 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 especially efficient is, yeah. is what I've read. But yeah, he's another guy who's failed a lot. Is it any entrepreneurs that you really kind of look at and you, you like listening to and look up to? 
So, I mean, you mentioned Joe Rogan. He's not as much of an entrepreneur. However, I admire the heck out of yeah, him. Um, you know, I, I go back and forth with Gary Vee. We're in similar circles now, and I've been kind of trying to poke the bear on him because I think he's been... I think he's too mean. I think he's abrasive. He's telling everybody that they're not trying hard enough and that they're, they're, they're slacking. It's like, dude, I've been working 100 hours a week without one day off for two and a half years with Shedwell. And if you're going to yell at me and tell me I'm lazy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you off. Yeah. Like I don't, whatever awesome stuff you were about to say after you got done yelling at me and calling me lazy is absolutely arbitrary because I, we're not going to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe some people need to hear that. But so I do love some of his teachings. But I think if, if I were to call out some of the entrepreneurs... Uh, that I really admire, someone for me, uh, and we're actually we're, we're LinkedIn connections, so hopefully he sees this later, but Tim Draper out in Silicon Valley, he was one of the first people to invest in Uber and Bitcoin, and he's now got a university to help entrepreneurs, but he is kind and he's forward-thinking, and for me, I, I, need, I need an entrepreneur to get rid of the ego. I see ego. Yeah. I've seen so many people, you're sure they're going to be in the next 100 millionaire, billionaire, and, and then they just don't because they're not nice. Yeah. If you don't want to do business with them, if you don't want to you know, have them on your board or whatever it is, you know, I, I think that what I'm finding is empathy is everything, listening to your customers. You don't tell them what they want. You ask them what they want. They'll tell you. Same thing with an entrepreneur. If, you know, if an entrepreneur is just telling me about their idea, it's like, well, then I can't help you. Right. You know, if, if you ask if you ask me what I think your idea and you genuinely want to hear my advice, I might be able to help or I might at least be able to point you in the right direction. So uh, I, I'm sure I can name quite a few. But Tim Draper really is uh, he's someone that I admire quite a bit uh, as much, much as I want to go toe to toe with Elon and with Gary Vee and say I do admire both of them for kind of what they put together. But Gary Vee's hilarious. He likes to yeah, he loves to talk guy. about how he came from nothing. And it's like, no, you're. Your parents' liquor company, like you like to say that you're the one that built it up, but they had a company. Like it was a million. Wine it was wine.com or something. Wine library. Wine yeah. library. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to him, but again, yeah, he's abrasive. And I'm very much the exact opposite. I do a lot of coaching and training for realtors, and I'm not a very aggressive guy. I'm kind of a nicer, you know, coach than, than, than Gary might be. How about you, Jim? Anybody yeah. you like listening to? You know, I. Not, not somebody that just comes to mind. Yeah. I I like uh, Corey said a lot there. Um, yeah. I like uh, people that are that are nice and genuine. Yeah, uh, it goes a long way. Uh, yeah. You know, um, so yeah. I just we talked a lot about Shark Tank, but I I really dig somebody that's got an idea that I never would have thought of before. And I'm like now. That's a simple, you know, yet you know, really great idea. Uh, it just that drives me because it just it makes my mind uh, focused. You know. Yeah. Um, are you on a day-to-day -day kind of basis overlooking, you guys said you guys are smaller, but do you overlook uh, the entire staff or do you have um, somebody that, you know, you oversee and then they see oversee the staff? Yeah, uh, we have some in business development, some in project management, uh, but I, I pretty much look, it all. Yeah, look, look over, you know, the, you know, all of our employees. Um, you know, I'm involved in business development, uh, operations, um, you know, and then, you know, as, as a small company, you know, contractor, small business owner, you have to be an accountant, you have to be, uh, you know, insurance, you, you, you need to know legal, you know, everything. And uh, so you try to, you know, snatch some, some people that can help you with those areas and uh, just, just go out and do your best. Yeah, you put on a lot of hats as an entrepreneur, especially up front. Um, you got to learn so much. It's funny, you know, you were saying you read a lot, you read a lot. My dad had, I, I just remember growing up and I would watch him reading. And I was like, why does he read so much? I mean, I was like, you know, high school and college, and I'm, I lived at home during college, and I would read, and my dad's reading. I'm like, why are you reading? You're done reading. You're a physician. He got an MBA as a doctor. And I'm like, what are you, what are you? He's like, as you grow older, if you're going to be successful in business, you got to learn so many different things, which is exactly what you said. You got to learn everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's crazy, John. We are at an hour. I knew this was going to happen with these two I because <laughs> I think I could go on and on and on with these two guys for quite some time. Um, I cannot wait to watch you guys both grow your businesses. I can't wait for Help a Hero to get even more traction. It's something that I just think is unbelievable. I think it's a great idea. I know John and I are going to get behind it 100%. Um, As and, am I. Yeah. If there's anything we can do to kind of push it in next steps, obviously, we'll link up after this. Like I said, we have this get-together we want to do at the end of uh, kind of summer, beginning of fall. But um, we yeah, we have to. I mean, it's funny. It's <laughs> mid-August. It's almost September now. We have to put that We together. saw a tree turning colors yesterday. Yesterday? Oh. Yeah. I mean, September is <laughs> basically fall. 
just crazy. I mean, it feels hot outside, which makes me sad. It's going to get cold soon. But um, definitely want to get behind Help a Hero, and I'm going to get together with you guys both definitely outside of here because uh, this was a lot of fun. An hour went too fast. I keep telling John we might have to do 90 minutes. John always looks at me like, I have to work this stuff and then edit <laughs> 90 minutes <laughs> worth of footage, you jerk. Stop saying that. Um, but thank you so much to both of you guys for coming on today. Um, for everybody watching, I hope you guys had fun. Um, I learned a whole heck of a lot from you two guys. Next week, we'll be back on Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Um, this was a special because we wanted to get these two guys on. I'm going to be out of town, and we weren't going to miss this. Um, so thanks again, guys. John, anything else before I'm wrapping up here? No, sir. Have a good time in Italy. Thank we'll you, thank you. you. Uh, Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just do the next one from Rome. Well, they say when in Rome. Yeah, when in Rome. <laughs> the part they don't tell you is do a podcast. Yeah, do a podcast. <laughs> we did get our Skype set up to work last week, so I, we could actually do the magic of Skype from now on. Yes, we could. We could give it John, a go. John's like, no, I'll, you, be you better be back in here next Wednesday. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, again, next Wednesday at 3 o'clock, and thank you to our two awesome guests. I learned a whole heck of a lot of stuff today, and I hope you guys did too. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, thanks you. Thanks for being on. In three, two.